of this session on vision and mission as a church. I have heard from a number of you some uh, you know, thoughts about our sermon series. <laughs> Beyond just that I've kind of gone crazy the last two weeks with energy, um, which might be because I've been drinking too much coffee, uh, and it's the beginning of the school year and I already have a lot more energy. This feels weird. This doesn't feel right. Uh, but I guess it's right. I don't know. I guess this is better. Um, that, you know, we're not preaching a ser- sermon series like we normally do when we do our vision and mission. We talk particularly about who we are as a church. And that was intentional because I wanted to make it a little bit more generic and a little bit more general and broad uh, so that we could just sort of revisit the entire purpose of church and what we're all doing here. And so I think sometimes we gear our first sermon series at the beginning of the semester to people who are visiting for the first time, and that's okay, but I want to remind those of you who are already here while you're here, and to make sure that you have thought about why you're here, because inertia can, you know, encourage you to just sort of stay because that's what you've done in the past without really ever reconsidering why you're here, and I think it's very important for those of you who've been a part of our, uh, you know, group for a long time to reconsider why it is that you are here, Okay. Uh, I know it's become comfortable for many of you, and you have friendships, and that's really wonderful. But if you miss the overarching purpose of what God is doing here, then you're really going to miss uh, the most significant part of what being a part of a community of faith is really about. So that's why I backed up and tried to do something that's a lot more broad and general, and, uh, and not just tell you about us as a church. Although, if you're really interested... And, and, you know, the specifics, if you are new, I mean, you certainly can talk to me after. Talk to someone who, uh, you know, is on our staff, uh, certainly Austin or Leslie or Ryan, Matt, any of the focus uh, folks, they'll be able to tell you. You might not find a lot of agreement about what we're about, but um, no, just kidding, you will. A few things that, that are sort of core to who we are, you'll find uh, in, uh, in talking to all of them. But starting next week, we are going to uh, actually kick off our series for the semester, which is from Jesus to Paul to practical living. And the whole goal of this sermon series is to try to reconcile some of the different things Jesus and Paul said. Okay, Uh, A lot of those things have split churches, have uh, caused people, I think, to walk down some paths that are really unfortunate paths. Uh, and even maybe left God in, uh, you know, overall, because they really couldn't grapple with the two what seemed like different things that were being said. And so uh, we're going to particularly focus, though, on the practical parts of that and how that really changes our daily life and how we live. And it's not going to be just some theological, uh, you know, a sermon series where we kind of get into the deep theology between Paul and Jesus. I, I'm not that interested in that. If you are, you can do additional study, and that's great. Okay, so as always, as a church, if you've got stuff as you're reading and you're thinking through that you want to contribute to that conversation, you want to. I've already gotten two people to tell me particular topics they want us to cover, which is really great, and we'll do that. Um, But also, one of the things that we really uh, enjoy doing during our sermon series is incorporating all of you in our worship and in our singing times. Uh, and so we're going to do that. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to start seeing some sign-up stuff and some anonymous places where you can put information. Uh, we really, really want you to involve yourself, whether uh, by name or anonymously, in what we do on Sunday mornings and as a service. And so just be looking for opportunities to do that. Things that if you particular, something that piques your interest, whatever, just come talk to one of us and so we can incorporate it in worship. Just because you have an idea doesn't mean that you have to enact that. Um, you know, we can we can make someone else do it. Your idea, uh, unless you're Takesia, and then you have to read your own stuff because it's so good. Um, but you know, the rest of us mere mortals. Just kidding. 
We can get other people to read our stuff, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, just to remind you of what kind of what we've been doing, if you're catching it, uh, this for the first time, or if you're like, you know, the first two weeks, I really had no idea what you were saying. Um, we're talking about uh, not allowing, okay, our purpose to be um, overrun or overtaken by our preferences and our passions, all right? That this is a very easy thing for us to do, that we allow the things that we prefer or that we're passionate about to really overrun uh, the purpose that God has given us uh, and the purposes that we should really be uh, you know, striving after. And it's not that preference and passion are bad in and of themselves, okay? They're just not. But if we're led by them, ultimately we're led into a very individualistic way of seeing faith. It's God's purpose that sort of takes us out of who we are and actually psychology, experience, and unites us together for a common purpose. But the problem that I see with a lot of our churches today is we placate people's preferences and passions. And rather than really calling people to a purpose and an actual, uh, this is what God's doing, we just sort of create churches where people can have their preferences met and can be passionate about something for a while and then move on to the next thing that they're passionate about. And I think that's a real travesty in, in church life. We've got to get past that whole way of doing things. If we're going to really be a part of a significant movement of people who are really accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And so I gave you, uh, again in the way of review, uh, a few things that I think uh, characterize preferences when we're making decisions, particularly church decisions based on preference, our church history, whatever denomination we, uh, we felt comfortable with growing up. I mentioned comfort. Some of us, personality-wise, are maybe uncomfortable with an environment like this. It would be much better to be a part of an environment where we could be anonymous. Uh, or maybe this is even big. We want something even smaller so that everyone knows us and you know, we have a say. I mean, it's, there are a number of different things that uh, you know, personality might uh, contribute to us having a preference about the kind of church we're going to be a part of. Certainly convenience and the idea of what's kind of closest, you know, easiest. Uh, some of you, it's very convenient to be at a church with a whole bunch of other college students. There's got a lot of other college students here. It's kind of convenient to be here. Um, and again, is that a bad thing? No. But if that's the main reason you're here, you're probably going to miss out. You are going to miss out on a whole lot of what we're trying to accomplish. And then the last one, and I think the one that affects us probably in many more ways than we even understand, even though we would admit that it's a problem, is consumption. And the idea of using something and then moving on from it. The, 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 the main function of that thing was that I consumed it, felt good, and then move on. And then the next time, I need it again and again and again and again. And it's this consumption way of living. I've seen this a lot with TED Talks. People love to consume TED Talks, you know? <coughs> and a lot of TED Talks are fine, but they're like seven-minute explanations of difficult concepts. Do you really think you're going to understand anything really that significant about anything from a seven-minute conversation? Again, I know we love them. They're interesting, wonderful. They've also caused a lot of damage. Okay? We've taken the, um, I don't remember what the lady's name is. Uh, I don't remember, but she talks about grit, right? And the idea of, you know, grit is the main contributor to success. It's all kinds of schools now are trying to, you know, implement her ideas. Of if you just be strong enough and, you know, if you have enough grit. And she's you know, saying things like, back up, back up. That's, that's too far. That is not at all what I was trying to say and get done. But we love to consume things that make us, uh, you know, sort of feel like we're having experiences that we're not really having. 
this is my, my theory behind this. Well, at least my thinking is this is why we love reality TV. Okay? Because something in reality TV allows us to experience something like virtually and then somehow think that we've actually gone and done something. I have a really wonderful example that I've given you before of that, I think, is when I watched the chainsaw carving show with my dad one Christmas. And these guys were amazing. I mean, they were carving uh, beautiful creatures, owls and eagles, you know, up on stuff. And they were doing it with chainsaws. And I was like, oh, that is my calling. (laughs) And I went out and I bought a chainsaw. And I got a piece of wood and I started trying to make an owl. And I was amazed at how awful it looked. (laughs) I used it for firewood after six or eight months because, you know, it was nowhere near the kind... I mean, what was I thinking? I watched a show about it and then I thought maybe I had some chance of going out and being a chainsaw carver, okay? My wife and I have this sort of ongoing joke that I'm trying to make her an owl out of wood. And I even tried to go down to like hand carving with like a tiny piece of wood. I I gave up on that too. Carving is hard, okay? It takes way more attention than I have uh, in my mind. Um, So any of you can do that, that you're amazing. All right. Anyway, we, we consume things, and, uh, and that gets us into a lot of trouble, and that directs uh, our activities. I won't talk much more about passions, although um, someone did ask the question last time that I may not have directly or you know, answered, and that's the idea that how do we know, how do we test when our passions really al- align with God's purpose, and when instead our passions are really uh, moving us away from or overtaking God's, God's purpose in our lives. I think the easiest answer to that, or at least my answer to it, uh, is we know from the things that I'm explaining about what I would say is pur- are, are purposeful. The idea of commitment. I said there are sort of four C's to, uh, to having a purpose, God's purpose in our life. Number one, it's commitment. Actually being committed to something. Okay? So, you know, I can look to my passions and I can tell, am I really committed to doing this thing? Has, it, has, I, have I, my, has my behavior been predictable in this area? Is it reliable? Do I take a that's my mentality kind of attitude to it? Is what I talked about last time. And, of course, the idea of calling. Some people are in the position they're in, not because they feel called by God to do it, but because they feel called by their passions to do it. And that's not, a, that's not, not necessarily a bad thing. But so if I'm going to work with, let's say I really care a lot about, you know, uh, social justice and particularly people who are poor, right? And so I go and I'm going to do that in my job. I'm going to go take care of people who are poor as, you know, because I'm really passionate about that. Well, I've got to test that passion. Is that passion really coming from God's work within me? Do I really see God's concern for the poor or am I doing this for other reasons? And one of the ways I test that is am I committed to it? Is this something that's really in my life that I do? Or do I do it 9 to 5 and that's about what I do? And it's sort of a job to me. Okay? This is something that's really predictable in my life. I've been doing it. People know I do it. I'm reliable. This is something that I'm really committed to. And do I see this as a function of God doing this in the world or me doing it? Is this about me trying to kind of you know, overcome some sense of guilt or some sense of I'm going to help people uh, and that's, you know, I'm going to be better than other vocations because, you know, the vocations that aren't directly helping people, we all know they're not truly Christian. Um, and so I've got to have some sense of, of whether or not, um, you know, I feel really called to do this. Is this something that I've connected to God's purpose in the world or have I decided that somehow this is, this is based on my purpose? So I think those are two ways we test it. I want to mention two more today, okay? And then we'll wrap this up. The second two that I have for us are community and cooperation. 
So, four C's of purpose. A way to test whether your passions have truly come from God or uh, whether they're probably just your deal. Okay? Uh, the second two are that passion, or the, the, the kind of purpose that God has for us always brings about some kind of community. Uh, in, in community, I mean, this happens apart from overtly God's work in the sense that, um, you know, we... When we're truly purposeful about something, when something's really kind of on the forefront of our mind, that it really drives our behavior, we're going to be united with other people who are commonly called to do that thing. It's just going to happen. It's just pretty natural. There's a a number of of examples you can use. Of course, the soldier one is probably the most obvious, but you're going to create those relationships when you're truly purposeful about something. I came up with a really, really cheesy quote. Uh, because I feel like some of my stuff has been really complicated and convoluted. So here, here's a really cheesy quote for those of you who really like cheesy morsels of, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, preference and passions usually bring people together for a time. All right? And you could probably complete the sentence. I don't know. Purpose brings people together for a lifetime. You know, when you have a purpose in something, whether that was you had a really direct purpose when you were early on in life, let's say, you know, you were, you had a loved one who had cancer, and so, you know, that experience really changed how you were going to do life. Well, it's something that changes ultimately you for a lifetime. A lot of our preferences, guys, and passions change us for a short time, and then we're we're moving on to the next thing. And so I think one of the things that... uh, uh, that happens here in regard to community is we build relationships that are really lifelong relationships. This is what's so sweet about doing church the way we do church. Is that because when you make a friendship in our community, you really have a sense you're making a friendship for life. And, you know, maybe I've felt like that, you know, in the past, that that you know, was going to happen and then it didn't. But there are a lot of people who've come in and out of our network uh, in the, let's see, I've been here for about 20 years. Uh, I have one of them today who's a good friend and an honored guest to be here, Joey. Hi, Joey. Yeah? Uh, who I've known for a long time that just come in and out of your life. And they're lifelong friendships and they're lifelong relationships wherever people take you and whatever happens. And I think that's really sweet. But that's something that comes from purpose. It doesn't come from just, we, well, we had the same preference for a time. Well, we were similarly involved in a passion that we had uh, that, you know, sort of was here today and gone tomorrow. In Romans 15, 1-7, if someone wants to read that, I, I won't even... Yeah, I won't read it off. Someone else wants to read it. Romans 15, 1-7. Uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. But each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You have this kind of constant theme throughout the New Testament of being like-minded, or hearts being woven together. I assure you that does not happen when a bunch of people get together based on some small preference or some temporary transient passion that they have in their life. The gospel talks about us as coming together, being knit in our very minds and in our hearts, which sounds crazy, okay? And it sounds very 
you know, counterintuitive. I think most of us want that, but don't, don't really want to give up what it takes to actually have that kind of sense of community with people. Um, but he says like-minded. doesn't say he comes together with a whole host of similar preferences and personality traits and, you know, life experiences. It's not what the scripture is talking about. In fact, the very thing that Paul is talking about here is learning how to bear with the weak among you so that you find common ground in Christ. You look at some of your ways that, uh, of doing church today and it seems like it's only for the, the, the strong. Come be a part of our small group because we're really strong and everyone's sort of got it together. Uh, or come a part of our small group because we're all really terrible and have problems. And either way, there's not a real diversity there uh, in terms of you know, strength or weakness of faith. But he's talking there about people who have like minds, people who are of one purpose. Jesus talks about this over and over again. Paul talks about it over and over again. The problem with too many of us is we're a part of communities that have a very, very loose network. That's what we call it in sociology. I did a dissertation, a whole research project on the idea of loose networks and how ineffective loose networks are generally anything they attempt to do. And my study was of of government uh, organizations, but this is true of businesses and it's true of churches. And what I mean by loose network is a whole bunch of people who know of each other but don't really know each other and aren't really working together. They're just sort of supposed to be working together, but there are no common rules that bring them all together to work towards anything. And so there's competition, there's misunderstanding, there's reinventing the wheel, and there are all kinds of structural and social problems that go into loose networks. A church is not supposed to be a loose network. It is supposed to be cohesive and tight, and people are supposed to know each other and move as one. And I would say that that's probably one of the biggest and most important things about church attendance and church involvement is are you a part of a church that moves as one? That moves. That's actually going somewhere. That isn't just a place for a whole bunch of people to sit down and come be placated and then move on. Where you can go and you can pretty much, you know, not know anybody ever when you attend. And that's not just big and small churches, guys. There are plenty of small churches I've been a part of where, or at least visited, rather, that uh, people just don't know you. They don't expect to know you. They don't say hi to you. They're not interested in knowing you. And in the same way, I've visited large churches where people really have the expectation uh, to meet people, meet people around them. That's great. It's not about large or small. It's about whether there's a sense of we're moving together. We're cohesive. We have a like mind. We're not just here because we all agree that meeting in the rec center seems really cool. You know? It seems cool. I just kind of like telling people I meet in the rec center. You know? But we're here for something much... Uh, uh, bigger than that. This is the same thing about family gatherings and weddings and things like that. I was talking to someone just this weekend. Of course, there's a Craigslist deal that I did that went like an hour long. Oh my gosh, I hate when those happen like that. Like, you just come, get what you need to get, and then leave. Like, you know, if I was working in a business, I wouldn't... Okay, anyway, it was a great opportunity for me to talk to him. And, I, and we did. And he just talked about how, you know, my wife and I did a wedding that was really small. We were planning a big wedding, and we decided just, let's invite like only 70 people and make a whole lot of people mad at us. So we did, and we loved it. He was like, yeah, I wish we would have done that. I had like 300 people at my wedding, and like I assure you, at least a third of them I haven't seen or won't ever see in like a five-year period. I didn't even know who they were. It was so uncomfortable going around and just like fake smiling with people. I'm like, who is that person? Like that <laughs> totally could have been a wedding crasher off the street, and I would have no idea, but I'm like forced to do that. Well, this is a lot of what our church involvement is like. It's loose networks. There's a whole bunch of random people coming together supposedly for a cause, 
that have really no other relationship other than they're supposedly Christian. That's not church. Jesus didn't do ministry like that. But where did we get the idea that that's what church was supposed to be? Loose networks, not okay, not okay. The scripture talks in very, very uncomfortable terms about the community of God's people. We belong to each other, Romans 12. Had everything in common, heart and mind. I mean, on and on. You take those one another passages, and they're crazy. What's like why we like to ignore so many of them, you know? It's because they're just weird and awkward, and we chalk it up to, well, that was how they did it back in the day, when they were all, what? How are they so different than we were? We're humans, they're humans. Oh, they're culture. Are you kidding me? They had so many more impediments to unity than we do. So many more. You think racial issues and socioeconomic issues are bad in our time? The New Testament time periods, it was just unheard of to do most of the stuff that the early Christians had to do with each other. Okay? They had so many more division issues and unity issues than we will ever face in our society. And yet they somehow managed to do it and didn't come together with these homogenous churches that were all exactly the same, where everyone just sort of looked the same, did the same stuff, already had the same interest in mind. I mean, this is where most of our conflict comes from in the New Testament letters, is all of these people's differences, trying to figure out how to be unified. Because they were attempting to do something that a lot of us don't attempt to do, and that's try to build a community of faith of people who are truly unified around a purpose. And are moving together, despite all of their crazy differences. It's at this point when a lot of us cheat. We want to cheat, okay? And a lot of churches out there, they figure out, okay, we need to be a community of people who are more than just a loose network of people. We need to have some kind of cohesion. So what do they do? They attract the same kinds of people from the same kinds of places. They go plop down in a nice suburb where everyone looks the same, everyone has the same amount of money, and should those people be reached, you better believe it. But should they be reached... Uh, in a way that's really catering to their preferences and doesn't really encourage them to do anything outside of what they pretty much already are doing? I think not. But this is what a lot of churches are doing. It's uniformity, not unity. It's trying to get a whole bunch of people who look the same and like the same stuff together and then calling it church. Guys, if you're a part of a church where you enjoy and like everything, you're at the wrong church. Because you're not a part of a church where people are different from you. You've either just accepted what the church has told you is right and good, or you're around a whole bunch of people who are just mirror images of you. They're just one other person with the same preference and the same passion, the same idea. That's not okay. And I'm not just talking about racial diversity, okay? We talk a lot about diversity and racial diversity. Racial diversity is easy to see, generally, right, with our eyes. But I'm talking about the kind of diversity that goes personality deep. Okay, it's experience deep. I mean, racial diversity is great, but you know, racial diversity for the sake of racial diversity doesn't really make much sense to me. Yeah. That's not an end goal, okay? Not to mention the fact that racial diversity is confusing anyway. When I ask my students, for instance, how many black people are in our society, everyone's like 40, 50%. You know, you had that Starbucks uh, controversy, which I'm not even sure what the Starbucks controversy was. Do you guys know? I don't know. Maybe there weren't enough like black hands or maybe there are too many white hands or not enough Latino hands. What are you supposed to do, like have half and half? Like, I, I didn't understand the controversy. So much of our uh, racial conversations about diversity don't even make sense to me, right? It's like, what, what is it to have an equal representative of population? So we have 10% black people in our society, so what do I need to count every morning to make sure that we have at least one-tenth of our church is black? Otherwise, we're not diverse. And make sure that we don't have too many white people. You know, if we have more than 60% white, you know, we're, oh my goodness, we need to go out and find other people who are not as diverse. No! 
that diversity is great and will come and I think is natural and, and is wonderful, okay? There's nothing wrong with that kind of diversity, but that's our goal is you know, racial diversity. Again, we've, we're, in a wrong, we're in a wrong path. We're talking about the kinds of diversity that go beyond just racial lines, socioeconomic diversity, age diversity, which we don't have a lot of in our church, but we'll see what God does, you know, we'll hope. Background diversity. I tell you, we have a lot of that in terms of experiences you've had. In terms of people who've grown up in really wonderful homes and people who've grown up in really terrible homes and everything in between. Um, and generally, the more people know each other, the more they actually figure out the kind of diversity they have. And that's the other thing about the preference type mentality is that you're never really encouraged to tell people who you are. You're sort of just con- uh, encouraged to stay uniform, fit in with everyone else around you. If you're in kind of a hipster church, you've got to be hipster, you know? You can't come in with jeans like, you know, that aren't rolled up. You have to have rolled up jeans, right? That's not cool anymore to just keep your jeans down. I've been learning that. I've been doing a really good job of it, of keeping my jeans up. But I'm not going to lie. Every now and again, when I want to pretend like I'm wearing a different pair of jeans, I just roll them down. I'm like, oh, yeah, look, new pair of jeans I have, you know? These are permanently rolled up. All right, anyway. Guys, the point of community is knowing people and being known by people. And the reason that's the point of community is because that's the God we serve. I think one of the biggest travesties of church today isn't that they're just catering to preferences and isn't that it's watered down. It's that people can be a part of a church and not be known by somebody. God is not like that. We don't serve a God who just sort of likes random faces and large groups coming to worship Him. We serve a God that knows us individually. When Jesus is talking about people coming to Him and doing all these things, what is it that He says, I never knew you away from Me? The goal is for Him to know us. And as a community, the goal for us is to know each other so well that it's scary. Okay? And in our privacy kind of mentality, we do not like this. I certainly don't like that as someone who's fiercely independent and grew up in a family that that wasn't really exactly what we did a lot of. It's been a huge stress for me. But we need to know each other and be known by each other. If you want some references there, go 1 Corinthians 8.3, Galatians 4.9. And I just referenced Matt 7, uh, Matthew, Matt 7, Matthew 7, Galatians 4.9 and 1 Corinthians 8.3. That the goal of our unity is to really know each other and be known by each other to represent that that's how God is with us. This is. He is. And guys, if you don't like this part of a community of faith, then you may not really like God very much. Because He knows you. And He wants to know you. And He wants to be known by you. But the same is reverse for uh, you know, Him knowing you. And so it's incredibly important that that's a, a big part of who we are. No matter who we are, no matter what our preferences are, that's our goal as a community, is to know each other and be known by each other. It's why I feel so much peace... Uh, about telling you about all kinds of problems I have, you know? I mean, I'm not up here just trying to get you to fix my problems. I mean, if you have ideas, it'd be great. <laughs> but as a minister, I feel very safe. You know, be who I am here in our church. You can know the problems that I have because I talk about them all the time. I tell you that I take depression medication. I tell you that sometimes I'm wondering whether I should take ADD medication. I tell you that I'm a terrible driver and I get into all kinds of, you know, situations in terms of road rage that I have to, like, figure out how to deal with. Um, because I live at a pace of life that's not reasonable, and I'm learning that. Uh, I'll tell you that I've seen a counselor. I'll tell you all of those things, because that's, that's okay. You guys have done a lot worse. Uh, 
comparatively speaking, I'm still pretty good. So, um, the good thing about me not, I'm just messing with you, okay? I'm just messing with you. Only kidding, alright? Jeez. Privacy. Privacy among our counselors, okay? I promise they're not telling me anything. I don't get a privilege. But you're trying to be positive, too. Yeah, positive. I am. I am. (laughs) But we're going to know each other, and we're going to be known by each other, and that's a big deal in our community. And it's not a big deal, again, because we're some weird, cultish, you know, group of, like, busybodies. It's because we believe that that's what God wants for us, is He wants us to train ourselves to relate with Him by relating with each other. By knowing and being known and being able to deal with people's issues. One of the biggest reasons we don't know people and we don't want to be known is because we don't want to deal with their issues. We don't want to deal with our issues. We just don't. What are you doing as a Christian if you don't want to deal with your issues? You're in the wrong place. What are you thinking? That's what Christianity is about. It's about dealing with your issues. God dealing with your issues. And if you can't figure that out, and if you don't want that, you're really in the wrong place, I think. Now, we'll let you kind of ease into it, I think. But at some point, you're going to have to get, you know, get on board with that. Uh, the last one is cooperation. I really pulled this from Luke 9, 46 through 50. And, uh, you know, my goal here in, in describing, remember, and all of these are sort of like, I think, the you know, uh, products of, or maybe even... Um, paving the way for you know really being a purposeful person is that when we're purposeful we're committed we have a sense of calling that goes beyond just our own individual ideas and that we build community communities happen you know around commitment people who are truly committed to a cause build friendships as a result of it uh when i'm going to motorcycle club on sunday mornings none of us really are that close friends I mean, I want to develop friendships, and I'm still learning, but that's part of the, the, part of the difficulty sometimes in, in building relationships with people who are part of Loose Network, is they don't want it, they don't expect it. You start asking too many non-motorcycle questions, and people are like, what's wrong with this guy, you know? <laughs> Kick him out of here, this is something, ulterior motives, something's going on. Um, but that's just sort of the, the, the kind of environment we live in. Um, so Luke 9, 46 through 50, you know, the apostles come to Jesus, and they're saying, you know, hey man, these people are doing some stuff. And they're not doing it, you know, with your approval. They're not one of us, is what they say. One of the real downsides of a close community, guys, and one of the things that we have to constantly guard against is an us-first-them mentality. If we're not careful, we start thinking that somehow our church does it better than everybody else. And that our community are the only people who are really teaching the gospel. And if people could just only come to our church, oh, please. That's no better than you deciding that you're better uh, better than someone else because you've got what? What comparisons do you have? How many of you have visited enough churches in the last one year to figure out that we do better at anything? I've visited probably more churches than most of you have. And I'm telling you, I'll tell you really specifically where we're doing things that are not near as good. Okay? So let's not get into that. And I think that's the thing about being closely in the community is you want to constantly think about we're doing it better than those people outside. And it creates this atmosphere of not willing to cooperate. And we got to cooperate. Jesus just wasn't that concerned about people doing stuff in his name that wasn't, they weren't officially sanctioned. The apostles, man, they were really concerned about it. And Jesus just says, whoever's not against us is for us, dismisses that. We've got to be okay with that. And as a church, we've tried to do that. We've tried to be a real inclusive church where our saying is, if you call Jesus Lord, you're welcome here. You know, whether you're going to stay here for a week or two weeks or a lot of weeks, you know, you just come be a part of what we're doing. 
um, and we're going to be open. And we're going to be open to the other churches in this area. And when I'm talking about churches doing this or that, and I'm speaking cynically about them, no, I'm certainly not. St- I think that's there's an equal balance there. You got to be careful. It's not like, oh, well, look at us. We're doing it right, and everyone else is doing it wrong. I'm just telling you experiences that are common in the church today. I don't think it's any surprise that these things are happening in our church. Our church is dwindling, particularly among your age group. It's just dwindling. People are, you know, checking out on this stuff. And there's a number of reasons why that is, but uh, I believe there are plenty of people in our area who are really doing, uh, you know, what they need to be doing, and particularly a remnant of people at every church in, in some ways of thinking that are really trying to kind of accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. So we've got to be cooperative. Uh, with other churches, uh, with other organizations who we can overlap our mission with. I mean, you know, the MOK has been a great relationship with us because we get to meet people in the community. That's it. Go be a part of the Denton Running Club or whatever civic organizations you're at. You know, your purpose can overlap with their purpose, and that's great. A great way to cooperate with different things that are going on in our city and to do a really good job of, uh, of encouraging that stuff. Sometimes we get this kind of conqueror mentality when it comes to cooperation. We want to conquer stuff. We want to take control of stuff. We want it to, you know, sort of fit into our way of seeing as how it ought to be done. You know, Joseph wasn't like that. When he took on, you know, the house of, uh, you know, the highest ranking security guard or whatever, what did he do? Did he run it the way he thought he ought to run it? Yeah, to some degree, but he made his house a good house. He was a wise person. He helped him succeed. And I'm sure along the ways he had to do some things that probably didn't fit into his ethical guidelines. But so far as they didn't, uh, you know, cause him uh, to deny his God or to sort of live in a way that God would really want him to, uh, he accomplished what he accomplished there. I think we've got to be the same way. A lot of us, the biggest place of cooperation needs to be at our jobs. Do you really cooperate with your bosses and the people who are in charge of your company? It's so easy for us to be cynical and critical of our organizations. I am all the time. But as Christians, are we really supposed to be the judges of these organizations or are we supposed to cooperate as best as we can? At the end of the day, I don't agree with a lot of the rules that come down from my administration, like the assessments we're doing now. Like That's the whole reason I didn't do high school teaching, so I didn't have to do standardized <laughs> testing. But I might not agree with the assessments, and I don't, and I think they're stupid, and um, yeah. Uh, but I can agree that the majority of my colleagues and coworkers are in what, in, in what they're doing because they love students. I can get on board with that. And on my best days sometimes, I'm not really loving students. I'm just teaching a subject. And so I can get on board. I can cooperate with that mission and that mindset at my job uh, as a way of really overlapping my purpose with theirs. So I just have some rhetorical questions here. Um, I like asking rhetorical questions. Yeah, those are good. I had some rhetorical questions last time too, right? Hopefully you went through those and looked at them and maybe answered them. I'll give those to you again if you need them. Just let me know. Uh... I don't think these are questions, though, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> Should have guessed. No question mark. Uh, so are you a conqueror or a cooperator? When you go into an environment, do you know your place? Because people who are conquerors, they don't know their place. They go into a new environment, and they don't quite understand what they're capable of doing and what their role should be. They're just ready to take charge. <laughs> take charge of the situation. Rather than happy to do whatever. You know, in the MOK, I mean, if you come volunteer with us, don't speak too loudly because Richard, I don't want him telling anyone, you're going to probably be doing not a fun job. We're young, okay? So they put us out in the field doing like the games when it's really hot outside and you're sweating and you're throwing a beanbag 
into a hole or someone's throwing a beanbag at your face and winding up to throw it. It's the jobs we get, okay? What are we supposed to do? Like demand to be in charge of the event? What what is that about? Conquerors don't know their place. They get into an environment and immediately it's I'm going to take over this situation. This is that kind of like militant evangelism stuff that you see some people do sometimes. It's just like, what are you doing? Even if you get someone to sort of acquiesce under duress, like to admit that they they believe in the gospel now, like, what do you think that's going to really stay when you're gone? Like, what have you done? Um, I don't know. I don't get that. They know their place. They're happy to do whatever. You see this throughout Paul and Jesus' ministry too, right? Jesus telling the disciples, hey, a lot of people have done the work before you, you're simply just picking up the pieces afterward. You're getting the reward for it. That's what he tells them after the Samaritan woman. Paul says that over and over again. You know, uh, you know, God makes it grow. I planted and watered. Know your place. Sometimes our place in the lives of other people are to be the person that shares with them the gospel that they've never heard. Other times it's the person, the place where we give one smiling, friendly face as a Christian. And that's it. And we do all of the things within that. But if you don't know your place, you're going to do a whole lot more harm than good with people. If you take on every single person as, you know, okay, you know, it's a 10-minute gospel presentation. Right now, everyone needs a standardized evangelism process. Uh, not only are you not like God in that way, uh, but you don't know your place. You haven't earned the right to speak into this person's life. Cooperating is being happy to do whatever, whenever. And so when we volunteer, we don't volunteer for the best positions. We'll volunteer wherever we're needed. That's great. Uh, whatever that means. And every now and again, we get something awesome, like the Halloween party. I mean, come on. We're like in control of that this year. Yes! We've conquered it. We've conquered the Halloween party. <laughs> Conquerors live by their own rules. They don't adapt to the environment. Paul said, become like, you know, a million different things to a million different people. It wasn't that I have my own rules and I'm going to stick with them. You know? He was adaptive. He knew where to adapt. If we're going to cooperate with people, particularly people who are outside the church and other organizations, you're going to learn, have to learn how to adapt in a variety of ways. You just have to. Being respectful of what you know, uh, you're, you've, been, you've, been, you've volunteered to do. We had a girl, <laughs> I think our second year of being on campus, who got kicked out of multiple dorms because rather than helping people move, she would just accost people and hand them a focus card. <laughs> as many as she could get out, man. And this girl's great. I love her to death. She's in a good place, you know, now. <laughs> but <laughs> originally she came she came in she kinda came out of one of those like militant evangelism backgrounds where it was like, Oh yeah, like the most important thing for me to do is give a card not to help someone move at a moving event, you know? Um, she has to have some kind of record for how you know getting kicked out of dorms. I mean, people were just not okay with it. I mean, we got to be careful about that, balancing it. I mean, sure, if you know, say you're part of, you're scared to say you're part of a Christian group or whatever, that's going to be weird too. But we've got to balance and be able to do justice to those things, uh, those areas of uh, that we're going to be involved in. So they they live by their own rules rather than they adapt to the environment. Now, some of us are on the other end of this. We're, t- we're so timid that we don't adapt to the environment, we just hide in the environment. Uh, that's another problem. Equally as bad, I would say, as uh, you know, being militant. Um, and then I think the biggest one for us is, is one that we have to overcome as Americans is conquerors are about quick, clear victories. 
Cooperators are in it until the resolution. Whatever that means, no matter how muddy it gets, no matter what happens, the goal is they're cooperating with other people to see this turn out well. Conquerors come in, clear, quick victory. I've had a hundred people sign a statement saying they prayed Jesus into their heart. That sounds really great. And it can be publishable, and it's a result. And is that a bad thing? No, I think God can use those situations and use those moments in people's lives. I also think Satan can use them, by the way. Uh, But they're in it for the clear, quick victories. The sound bites. I went to the Denton Running Club and I shared the gospel. I went to the Denton Running Club and I ran and I talked to a lady about her dog. Doesn't sound like a church-worthy uh, testimony, right? You know, we got to be able to share the gospel too. Um, I'm using the Denton Running Club a lot because my wife is obsessed with the Denton Running Club, and I'm just trying to train her in the ways of evangelism. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you guys catch what I'm talking about here. Uh, we have to be in it for the long haul. Cooperation. We're cooperating. Guys, what, I mean, you know, really getting people onto God's agenda is not a month-long process. Some of you are going to learn when you get out of college that, you know, the year that you could study with someone and turn their lives around is, like, not the real world. <laughs> not that it's bad. I mean, it's good. You guys are making, you know, huge... Uh, uh, impacts on people at a young age, early on, and only time will tell whether those commitments uh, remain. But when you get into the adult world, that process becomes like, instead of one, more like five. And that's challenging. Because you're an adult, you don't make quick, quick, uh, decisions as quickly as when you're in college. But those decisions you do make are generally a lot more firm. And so that's the upside to it. But when we're cooperating with people, we're going to work together. Those of you who are core fuzz, I know there's a tendency to compete against each other. I got 20 people in my core. You have five people in my core. Some of my favorite cores were the years I had five people because I actually had a life. (laughs) Because I got to know them. And yeah, sure, it was impressive every time I told someone I had 20 people. But it was, uh, I think, a lot more impressive to God when, you know, I actually built relationships with the five people that were my core rather than study with the 12 people in my 30-person core. That's a fun sound bite, but I really didn't build very many good relationships that year I did that. And so we've got to be really careful about that kind of stuff. When we're going to cooperate with people, we cooperate as a ministry. We're all on the same page here. There's no harm, no hurt feelings. You know, we're going to work together. We're not competing for who gives the best advice. Because <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> just messing with you, man. Okay. So... Uh, we're done with this sort of like vision and purpose thing. But I just want to say one last thing, and that's the purpose knits us together. Um, while preferences and passions often like barricade us on our own. Uh, I think this is a lot of conflict in our ministries. Is pe- Someone gets a preference to do something. We had a really neat deal at our leadership conference about two years ago. Uh, maybe it was last year. Amy did this deal on Euodia and Syntyche, which comes from Philippians, where Paul kind of says, you know, uh, really learn to get along with each other. And it was a monologue kind of thing. And it was just really powerful. We actually saw it at Regent College and then Amy reenacted it. And the whole idea was both of them had these preferences for ministries, right? One wanted to do jail ministry. One wanted to do rich people ministry. Um, and they were, they were fighting with each other. And I mean, this is not, you know, this is kind of conjecture, right? But this is what happens, guys, in church. This is what causes conflict and disunity. Is when we start, you know, overlaying our purpose uh, in God with our preferences and our passions for stuff. Man, bring your passions here. 
We want to try to do whatever we can within our mission. Sometimes we're, not, we're going to be under-resourced. And if those passions particularly are proven to be from God, which time will tell, then yeah, heck yeah, we want to give you that charge as a person in our ministry. Because we'll know you'll stick with it. Right? But you know, when it comes to preferences, we've got to stick together as a church and, and come back to over and over again the purpose that we've all been given, which is to really love people well. And by doing so, show them the love of God. And that's really what we're in it for. And all the other stuff that you know, we, can, we can chalk up to passions and ways of doing that and preferences, I like it this way, you like it that way, we'll figure out along the way, which I think is what we were meant to do in the first place. And I encourage and charge those of you who aren't going to be a part of our, our, our community here to when you go into another place, look for those things. You know, look for those things among the people who are around you and make your church, uh, in choice, your church choice based on that information. And I think God will really uh, you know, bless your ministry and uh, your time in a community when you're really there for a purpose. Uh, and not because you have some you know, overarching preference or passion. Some of the people I respect most in the faith are in churches they do not want to be in. They are. Churches they've tried to leave. <laughs> but somehow God keeps calling them back. And it not, does not fit with who they are. And it does not fit with you know, what they want to accomplish. And somehow God is using it either to minister to them or to minister to other people. And for whatever reason he has them there. And I don't think all of us get that clear of a calling at all. I think a lot of it's just us choosing and God working with us in that choice. But man, that's pretty cool testimony to say. Uh, and it's challenging to me because I want to be here. I like being here. But to be a part of a church that I think, man, that, that's, that's not what I want to do. And some of you are like, here, and you're like, yeah, that's me. Good. Well, I respect you. <laughs> glad you're here. Uh, even though you're not glad you're here. Okay? So that's fine. Uh, we want people who are called to be here. And that's one of the things that people say all the time, I think, in our worship. Uh, not just because you like it or because we're doing something that really impresses you, but because uh, you, you really feel called by God to be here. We're going to take a, a communion now. And this is uh, how we do communion, kind of a little bit weird. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.